Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is the coach of the number one ranked team in Massachusetts, Austin Prep coach Jonathan Pollard. JP, thanks for joining us in studio. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and you guys are off to a great start to the season, uh, 8-0 record, and against some really difficult competition. Um, why do you think you guys have been so successful so far? What have you been doing well? Uh, yes, thank you very much for that. Um, boys are trying hard, and, and we seem to be off to a pretty good start. We know we have a long way to go. Um, by the end of this week, we'll be only be at the midway point. So um, I think the success, honestly, is the culture. And that dates back well in advance of this season. Um, a lot of our alumni are, are to credit for that. Um, our entire coaching staff from varsity to the middle school team um, at Austin Prep, we're fortunate to have a middle school program. Um, and it's just everybody, ha- there's that buy-in. It's the culture. And it's not just between the lines. It's the culture in the hallways. It's the culture in the classroom. It's the culture in the weight room. Um, and then how they represent themselves off campus. So I think that um, the culture is player-driven. And us as um, coaches are just very fortunate to be part of that culture. Yeah, and the culture, it really, you have to be intentional about that. You know, a lot of coaches say, you know, they want to instill a culture or a winning culture or, you know, togetherness, something like that. But it feels like you you really have to have an intentional um, – you have to act on, you know, what you, what you envision for the culture. You took over in 2019, and you said it even dates back before that. What is your, what is your idea for the culture, and what, what do you really want to see within the team? So I actually am also fortunate to be an alum of Austin. So I played in the program in the late 90s. Um, prior to being named head coach, I was the JV coach for five years, which I loved that. Um, I, I love that grassroots instruction base and having your competitive edge be solely to advance a kid's career and to get them up to that varsity team and contribute to the varsity team. Um, in terms of the culture, it, it's the buy-in and it's that everyone in our program, every player from a sixth grader to an Evan Blanco who's going to Virginia, um, they feel valued and part of that. And they know that it's not simply a third week of March tryout. You get relegated to a specific team and it's like, okay, we'll see you next year for your three-day tryout. Um, one thing we take a lot of pride in with the guys is we evaluate the teams every single day. Um, the freshman JV and, and varsity staff will all get together, whether it's a phone call or on field, formal, informal, um, and we'll evaluate players and we'll say, you know, what, who needs to move up, who needs to move down. None of that is, is you know, a, a negative thing. It's we're trying to put you in a position to be successful. And if going down and throwing a few innings at the JV or freshman level or coming up just to sit on the bench at varsity to experience what a varsity game is like and that intensity and that competitiveness and the true expression of the culture, we're going to do that for those guys. Um, and I believe every player in the program feels valued. They're known by every coach on staff um, and know that we have a plan for them to lead the program in the future. And Austin Prep is a division. Uh, historically, you've performed really well in Division Three. You have state championships to your resume. Um, but the schedule, I mentioned earlier, you're playing a really difficult schedule this year. I know you've already played Milton and some really tough opponents who are state championship contenders in Division One. How did the uh, idea for the schedule, how did the schedule uh, come about, and what's your philosophy behind uh, scheduling such difficult opponents? Um, I think that at the end of the day, we're, we're there and we want to compete and test um, test ourselves against who's considered the best. Um, we've always been receptive to playing anybody. I don't believe we've ever said no to an opponent. Um, any coaches in Massachusetts listening to this podcast have probably have been contacted by me to play us. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, we, we know that um, iron sharpens iron to a degree. Um, we try to prepare year round on that, the you know, player driven in the off season, coach driven in, in season. Um, and we want to test that against the best. We don't want to leave any unknowns. Um, in 2021, yes, we are a Division three school, but we play in a tremendous conference, um, the Catholic Central League, and there are multiple Division two schools in there, Division three schools, and Division four schools, um, of which there's multiple state champions. So in league, we always know we're going to have very tough opponents. Out of league last year, we played um, teams in the Division one, two, three, and four North Finals. Um, and we take a lot of pride in that, that we don't want to leave any stone unturned and we want to challenge ourselves against the best um, and see where we stand. One of the things I thought about this weekend, they had this super or over April vacation. They had the Super 8 Classic. And I, I really missed the Super 8 tournament because it gave uh, schools like yourself, like a Division three opponent to play in a tournament at the end of the season and the postseason against, you know, those difficult teams. North Andover, the last time they had it, actually a Division two team went on to win the Super 8. Uh, what are your thoughts on the you know the fact that there's been no super there will be no super eight this year? Were you disappointed to see that go? Yeah, you know, um, like most coaches, I, I very much focus on controlling the controllables, um, and that's outside of my control. I definitely appreciate and respect the premise of the tournament and the origin of the tournament. Um, I believe it's a good thing mm-hmm. for for high school baseball, but despite the fact it will not be in existence for at least the next few years, um, I think it was still on the baseball side to a degree in its infancy. And I think it needed a bit more time to like figure itself out and what it wanted to be. Um, is it the best eight teams? Is it the most high-profile players? And, and all of that is natural growing pains, right? Is It's a great opportunity to showcase the best in Massachusetts. Um, but it was still a pretty young tournament, Um and I do, I do hope to see it come back in some form, um, if there's support for that. And but with with that, there's the statewide tournament this year, and I'm receptive to that. I want to, we'll explore everything, and I think that's, you know, you have to have that that innovative mindset of let's just keep exploring of what's the best for high school baseball, Massachusetts baseball, New England baseball. You mentioned Evan Blanco earlier, uh, University of Virginia commit, and you know possibly a pro prospect. He's he's off to a great start. You've got um, a few Division One prospects in your program. Uh, what do you do to help these guys? You know, get looks, and what do you help with in the recruiting process? Um, yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, th- we are very fortunate. Currently, we have five Division One commits. Um, one division two commit and one division three commit. I would say by the end of the season, we'll probably add at least three more committed athletes. I'm not sure which division they'll go, but I think three more will be off the table to a degree um, by the end of this spring season. In terms of recruiting, um, you know, we are a, it's Austin prep. Um, Prep isn't some arbitrary word that just sounds nice with the word Austin. We know that um, all of our students, student athletes or, or not student athletes come to our school with dreams of going to college. When you're trying to to meet those dreams for the student athletes, it's getting them to be a collegiate athlete. And we try to really assist in that process um, right when our guys come in and when they begin to start getting college attention. um, We have an entire packet we work work through with them. And it's not simply, well, let's go find the best Division um, Division I school that's interested in you. That's actually the exact opposite of what we try to promote. We want our guys to find a school that is a fit for them athletically and academically. Division is factored in for some, not factored in for others. Um, 
you know, I, I think you have to kind of assess what you want your career to be. Do you want to play early? Do you want to wait in line? Do you want to have goals of playing beyond college at the professional level? And as we work through all that, that's where the division really begins to answer itself. But the more important piece is let's do the legwork to really be educated about your degree. Where, what region are you going to? Don't just take the default answer that Southern baseball is better than Northern baseball. I don't believe that. Um, I've been blessed to coach around the world, and I don't believe that New England players are inferior to any players from any part of the country. Um, then what is your degree going to be? Because that's going to last you a long time. I think that, um, unfortunately, right now, we're in very murky waters in terms of the recruiting process, and there's a lot of distractions for kids. Social media is, is its own bear that you have to get past because all these kids want to run to their accounts and be proud and blessed and get a million likes and have the attention on them. And that's okay. It's okay to have the attention on you, but it's got to be for the right reasons. And it's got to be your decision, not a decision for everyone else. And we really try to help them with that. I think a very simple question is, hey, John Doe, is mom and dad in the stands every single game? Yeah, of course. They've come to everything my whole life. Okay, then why are we talking about Texas? Because you understand mom and dad might not be able to be there every single weekend. Are you okay with that? Um, you know, you have Sunday dinner with your family. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's a big thing in my family. So you understand that's out now. And you're going to be sitting in your dorm eating dorm food. Just little things like that that they wouldn't consider. Um, and I think we try to do it in a fun way where this recruiting process, we've had guys verbal to Division One schools in eighth grade. And I'll say to those guys that are trying to rush the process a little bit, I say, if you're walking down the hall right now and some young lady comes up to you and says, you're the perfect guy for me, we're going to get married. Does that mean you immediately have to marry that young lady? Right. I don't believe it does because you have to make sure it's a fit for you. And they start to chuckle and laugh. And then I say, it sounds extreme, but you understand you're going to take this degree with you for life through your professional career. So you better take that as serious as you take choosing a partner in life. And then all of a sudden you see like, the blood come out of their face a little bit like okay this is bigger than just a proud and blessed statement so we really want to foster that and support that um beyond what we try to do as a staff and as an athletic department we really tap into our alumni network and we obviously have guys at the division one division two II, division three level and we try to connect them with like guys and talk about what their experiences were like what they did well what they wish they had, had considered um or what might have not gone well you know transfer portals there for a reason so I think us doing that, that proactive work will hopefully prevent our players from being in the transfer portal in the future. Yeah, and you do have some guys uh, who are having great college seasons this year, some alumni, um, Evan, or not Evan, uh, Logan Bravo is uh, at Harvard, Jake Elbery is um, at Richmond, Peter Burns is at BC. Um, what is it, you know, how hard is it to keep them entrenched and, you know, to make time if there is a recruit who says, hey, I want to talk to um, Logan about playing at Harvard, you know, what, what the Ivy League experience is like. What is that? How do you facilitate that? So that's a really great question and something I'm very proud of is very often at Austin, I don't even need to give them a phone number because those guys are on campus. Um, in terms of Logan Bravo at Harvard, unfortunately, the Ivies canceled two seasons due to COVID. So what did he do in his second season? It was his draft year. Mm -hmm. Don't forget that. Um, he, was, he had a lot on his mind. He came back and was the volunteer assistant at Austin Prep. So we had him on staff last year, and it was amazing for the students to have that network right there, that experience right there, that mentorship right there. And it doesn't just end at that because his season was compromised. I mean, I think a really 
wonderful thing we had this year was um, we test our guys twice a year on measurables because we provide that to all the college coaches, um, you know, 60s, bench, pull-ups, squat, all, all those things. And so we test once at the end of the season, and then we test again right before Thanksgiving. So we were testing the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and our guys are in the gym. You know, it's a big day for us. The, the testing is very serious at our school. And at one end of the gym is the current team testing. And at the other end of the gym, we have Cam Sagan, who is at Elon. We have Logan Bravo at Harvard, Peter Burns at BC, and Jake Elberry at University of Richmond. It's right there. It's 30 feet away from you. Jake was in your hat, in your jersey, probably literally in your jersey uh, one year ago. So those guys come back throughout the pandemic. Those guys would come back and work out at Austin. So they would come back. The campus was closed. We'd open the gym. They'd be in there working out. They'd be on field hitting. Um, it was, it's home to them. And the ultimate goal is, you know, when they graduate, when their pro careers are over, they come back and be on staff. And someday when it's my time and, and, and I ride off into the sunset, I hope to pass it on to another alum and, and God willing, somebody that I coached. I wanted to ask about your decision to join the NEPSAC. Obviously, it's not just baseball. It's uh, all, but you have been in the athletic director at Austin Prep. And you, when we spoke uh, right after you announced the decision, um, you said it had been in the works for a little while. Obviously, the facilities have been upgraded. You guys got a three million dollar turf field for baseball. Uh, what what do you see as the pluses to uh, going the prep route, and what will you lose or miss the most? So in terms of going to the NEPSAC as, as an athletic department, I think it's the common denominator of all the student athletes from not only our school, but our competitors want to go to college. And that's a huge benefit in the recruiting process because as coaches from the division one, two, and three level decide, they have very limited time to go see players. If they can go to a game where they're looking at the field, at the ice, at the court, and they say every single person here has already pre-identified that they intend to go to college. That's a huge separator for us. The other part is, as I mentioned before, prep is not some arbitrary word. Um, we want to provide an experience that replicates college baseball as most as closely as, as we can do that. Um, and with the NEPSAC and, and everyone having that common denominator, their rules are a bit more conducive to, to having that impact on your players. Um, I think every coach listening would say the relationship piece is huge and there's no knock. We, we've very much enjoyed our time in the MIA. Um, I, I believe in the organization. I believe in the tournaments they run, the experiences they create for these kids. But it, it is difficult when there's publics and privates. And I think unfortunately right now, a lot of people are vocal about that. And whether that's through social media or on sidelines, whatever that may be, um, at the end of the day, we all have that common denominator of baseball. And we are in the Northeast. And we don't need to divide ourselves. If anything, we need to support each other. And I understand completely a public school, a public school program, a public high school being upset when they, they're, they quote unquote, lose their players to a private school. But you do have to understand Catholic schools, we don't have them from K through 8 to try to sell them on our program. We also very often may not have the same facilities as a public school and the same kind of financial ability as, as, a, as a public school. So it adds an element of division that, that is just really unfortunate. It's unfortunate. It's, in my opinion, it's not good for, for high school baseball, and it's certainly not good for New England baseball. Um, so as we go to the NEPSAC, 
thankfully will be amongst everyone is on the same playing field, literally and figuratively, um, that we are all out there trying to find players, sell them on our school, sell them on the experience, sell them on our diploma and what that can do for them in the future. And then from an athletics perspective, what we can provide for their athletic experience, because it is very difficult. You know, we have 230 boys in our upper school. We have a hundred baseball players. Um, these, many of these kids, baseball was part of the decision to come to Austin prep and under the current rules, we have to say, great, welcome to Austin in late August. We'll see you the third week of March, and then our relationship is over in June. That's tough. That's hard for me to accept. Um, I understand why those rules are in place, um, but I would rather have the option to do fall ball. I would rather have the option to work one-on-one with players and then hold schools responsible. Like, Make sure you're not eliminating the option of a two-sport, three-sport athlete. You should, you should be able to self-regulate a little bit and control those very few and far between bad apples that are going to take advantage of out-of-season contact. Um, should it, is it unlimited? No, I don't think unlimited contact is the right answer. But some level of contact prior to third week of March, in my opinion, is incredibly important. Yeah, and you see so many coaches uh, you know, doing the travel stuff in the off-season, so it's really difficult to to monitor and enforce that stuff. And it makes sense. Two things I thought about during your answer, um, or what, at least not the answer, but when you were talking about that, the transition, number one, um, do you expect to lose any players, you know, that will decide not to go the prep route once you make the transition? And number two, do you think it will be difficult on team chemistry if you start to add, um, you know, obviously top prospects for the prep region and guys are losing starting jobs and anything like that, will that be difficult for team camaraderie? Sure. So um, our players were very excited about the move. Um, and again, we're in a great position. We had play in a great league, Massachusetts baseball and the MIA is great baseball. Um, so it's not like a grass is greener on the other side scenario. We're very happy with where we are. We love our competition. Um, but one thing to the MIA's credit is they did allow out-of-season contact in 2021. And the reason being was we lost the spring season in 2020 due to COVID. So I was I very much give them credit for making that bold decision to say, these kids just lost 25% of their high school experience in, the, in a specific spring sport. Let's do something to make that right. We took full advantage of that. We ran a fall ball. We had... Um, you know, preseason work, we taught them early work, we did PFPs, we worked with pitchers. They lived a college experience. It was the exact same thing they'll go through when they get to college. And fortunately for us, every player in our program should think college is a reality for, for baseball. Um, so when we're back in 2021, where it's like, okay, guys, see you in third week of March, they're really disappointed. And there was a piece missing. Yes, they definitely were player driven. They reaped the benefits of being able to, to, self-coach to a degree from everything they learned in 2021 um but they definitely missed that experience the relationships and the interaction with the staff and we missed it for sure um in terms of players being replaced there's really no there's no plan for that it's it's a very competitive program where the best players in the region come already thankfully um we're, we're blessed to have that so all of our kids know what they're signing up for when they when they come to Austin Prep. It's to be hyper competitive against the best of the best and and see where you, where the chips fall. Mm-hmm. 
in terms of, so, you know, you see all these rankings now, top 10 in the state, top 20 in the state, and some of them you've already played or have plans to play. What teams do you think pose the biggest threat to your undefeated record in the regular season? Which teams uh, do you kind of have your eye on in terms of teams you might see in the postseason? So, I mean, everyone is a threat, and I don't mean that to be a no answer. As I mentioned previously, our conference is very competitive, and everybody brings their best in those games. There's absolutely no one that we look beyond. Uh, I think, to your point, there's a lot of rankings, and, and fortunately we're involved in many of those rankings, so rightfully so, we have a bullseye on us. And I think most schools, when they're playing us, that game's probably circled on their calendar, and they want to bring their best that day. So we embrace that challenge, and part of embracing that is absolutely not looking beyond anyone. Um, conference play is conference play, and then, as you mentioned, we try to get the best of the best outside of, uh, outside of conference, and it is reflected in, in the rankings. Um, I think we went, in our first seven games, every opponent was ranked at, at some level. Um, um, every opponent but one was ranked at some level, and, and we embrace that. That's what we want to play against. So um, we're not looking past anybody. We're going to go one game at a time. It's very fortunate we're, we're ranked number one right now, but our goal is to be ranked number one at the, at the end of June. Um, that's the most important piece. So we're very appreciative um, of the recognition that from the various outlets, but uh, we're going to go one by one, game by game, and um, just try to keep playing our best, best brand of baseball. We want to compete against ourselves every single day. And I think if we do that well, um, the, the games kind of take care of themselves. Yeah, that uh, well, you're off to a good start. It seems to be working well so far. Uh, I wanted to ask about travel programs, summer. You know, you've got, like you said, you might have 10 guys at the end of this year who are going to be college commits. So obviously they're being seen in the right places. What do you recommend for your guys, you know, at because, you know, with the MIA rules, you're not able to really – um, coach them in the summer. What do you recommend in terms of you know becoming improving weaknesses and becoming more well-rounded players over the summer? What can they be doing? Um, we certainly promote that. Um, we do not specifically say one program. We don't want all. Quite honestly, I don't want all my guys in one program. I want them to have a network and play with other coaches and other players and hear varied opinions. Um, I really don't care whose opinion gets you to your highest level. I just care that you get to your highest level. Um, we do that internally. Um, all of my assistant coaches know they have just as big of a voice as me because if you say it in a way that it connects the wires for our player and he becomes a better player, excellent. That's the goal. There's no ego amongst the coaches saying, I did this, I built him into this. That's just, that's a, that goes against our culture. Um, in terms of playing, at the varsity level, we have a plan for our guys. Is You're going to stick by what we do all spring, then you go play for whoever it is you want in the summer, um, when you come back in the fall, we do offer a fall ball team that's coached by some of our alums, and you can't play your primary position. Um, we want to start to answer those questions if you're being recruited and they have somebody at shortstop. Can we say, yes, they've played eight, nine, ten games in center field and we're dominant center fielders? Um, you know, we have a Division One catcher right now. He was in our program as a first baseman for his first two two seasons, and then we saw something in him. We shifted him down, and he's exceptional. He's exceptional. He'll be moving on to play a catcher at the Division One level. So we think it's important to play out of position. Um, I think it's also in choosing your travel program. It's having that conversation about the recruiting process um, because as much as I support um, travel baseball, having been involved in it and having close friends that, that own organizations, 
they'll be the first to admit the model is broken right now and it's it's unknown and we need to clean that up as a baseball community um so when we say that if you want to stay regional then you don't need to be on a team that's going all over the country because in essence what you're doing is you're decreasing the likelihood you're going to get recruited um so we want you to be on a team that's going to stay regional. If you want to go out of region, then yes, you need to go play on a program that's going to Georgia, it's going to Long Island, fill, fill in the blank, wherever, wherever they, Florida, wherever, California, wherever they want to go. Um, but we really try to talk like, our guys through that process um, because, again, I, I definitely agree that travel ball is an important part of your experience, but the model's broken, and I think we all need to work together. And I think that comes back to my earlier comment of we don't need to divide at all here in New England or Massachusetts specifically. We all need to work together because the brand of Northeast baseball is incredibly valuable. The Base Path Podcast will be back after these messages. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division 1, 2, and 3 colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. You have some experience at the national level, too, with uh, USA Baseball. You coached a team that won a gold medal at the Pan Am Games. I think that was, what was that, 2014? 15. 15. Um, how did that opportunity come about, and what did you gain from that experience? Wow, that's a, a loaded question um, and one that I'm very proud and, and honored to answer. Um, I, I was actually finishing up my college career, and um, the North Shore Spirit were actually starting a women's division and they're trying to have women's baseball at the professional level right there in, in Lynn, Massachusetts. They asked my college coach, Ken Perrone, um, to, to lead that and be the head coach, and he grabbed a couple of us that had just graduated and were trying to figure out what life after baseball was going to be like, and he knew some of us were going to have a career in coaching, and he wanted to give us a little bit of a leg up. So I coached a summer in Lynn um, with women's baseball, and then out of the blue I got a phone call from, from North Carolina. Hi, how, how are you? This this is USA Baseball. Um, we've heard a lot of positive things about you as a coach. We've heard a lot of positive things about um, the players you're producing. We'd like you to come down and, and and just see what we're about and let us see what you're about. 
So I went down there um, in the in the capacity of pitching coach on the women's side, and I, and I worked with them, and that was a tremendous experience. Blown away by USA Baseball. It's uh, the premier organization in sports, in my opinion, not just baseball. Um, everything that they do is first class, the way they treat each other, the coaches that they get to, to bring in, and then the athletes. And that's where I really began to get blessed was I had – I was a pitching coach with the women's national team, and I was a head coach with the women's national team, and I was a pitching coach with the 14U guys team, then I was an uh, assistant coach with the 14U guys team, I spent a week with the college national team, I spoke at the USA Symposium, I worked the Fort Bragg camp on behalf of USA Baseball, and what an incredible opportunity to develop as a coach. I mean, when you go there, your staff is just filled with top 25 Division One head coaches, former big leaguers, um, and just getting to compare notes and, and see their view of the game and what you do comparing that and then morphing that into the, the next version of yourself. Um, so from a coaching perspective, it was unbelievable the advancements and, and knowledge I was able to obtain there, um, the relationship piece you're working with the most elite athletes in the world. Um, and playing against the most elite athletes in the world. In my time with USA, I went up to Canada for two games. I went to Japan for a World Cup. I went to South Korea for a World Cup, um, Dominican Republic. I mean, we travel the world representing the United States, which is is a heavy responsibility, um, one that they embrace, and, and they let you know that when you're representing the USA, it's literally written across your chest. The objective is not simply a gold medal. It's you have to represent your country on a huge stage and show what's the best parts about our country. Um, and it's a heavy responsibility, but it, it, it's exceptional. Um, many parts of our program at Austin Prep have some level of, some level of relation, relationship to USA. Um, I really developed a huge appreciation for support staff um, instead of just the coaching staff and the players, which a lot of us stay in that, in that lane when I really went down there and worked with the best trainers and the best writers and the best SIDs that the country has to offer, the best um, administration, it was just, it was eye-opening. And when I came back, I was like, I need to implement these elements into our program. And thankfully, I think we've done that in a number of ways. Um, Evan Blanco, who you mentioned earlier, was blessed that he got to go down for the 14U developmental team. He was at that level, one of the top 40 players in the United States. Um, and, And he saw that. He saw, whoa. Now I see why Austin is what it is. I see the influence that USA Baseball has had. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's how they manicure their fields. It's the field guys. Everybody plays a role. And again, that drives culture. Mm-hmm. If everybody in your organization is like, well, I'm going to be the best clubby there is. I'm going to be the best athletic trainer there is. I'm going to be the best strength coach there, that I can possibly be. When everybody's embracing that, you're not competing against anyone but yourself. And if you're the best version of yourself and then you collectively bring that together, you're going to have a successful program. And um, USA are masters of that. I think their record and the countless gold medals they have backs that, backs that statement up. And something we're trying to replicate here on a much smaller scale, but um, certainly trying to do at our own level. You touched on it in your answer, and I want to ask you about this because we talked about it a little bit before the podcast. Uh, the baseball operations side of it, and you're giving – uh, non-baseball players uh, an opportunity to get involved in the sport and really kind of show some leadership traits and team uh, development traits. Um, what what do you? How did you put together your baseball operations team and what do they do to help your team? 
So again, going back to the USA piece, that certainly influenced my my opinion and vision on what a, a organization and a program is. Um, probably prior to USA, I was like most coaches, and I thought everybody in baseball pants was the baseball program or in a jersey. Um, but that's simply not that's simply not the case. Um, and and so by taking those elements that I saw at USA, I wanted to provide that opportunity for the other kids. Um, currently this year's operations group, there's five guys, three girls. Um, we've been in existence for three years. Two of those three years have been led by young women. And I think that's incredibly valuable for not only the young women, but for the young men on our team is to view those young women in a leadership position and them to be confident and bold and in leading the program, not only the operations program, but our baseball program. Um, they have that kind of say and that kind of influence. And as this thing has evolved and it's all streamlined and begun to figure itself out, it's amazing what they do for our program. Um, we're blessed to, as you mentioned, have a multi-million dollar ballpark and every, that's a ballpark. That's just, those are things you can go buy. What our ops kids do to make that ballpark come alive is just as important as our one, two, and three who are all division one players. Um, and I mean that that's not the company line. If you come to one of our games, every player has a walk-up song. Every pitcher has an entry song. Um, the umpires are welcome. The op- op- uh, opponents are welcome. Game balls delivered. Sound, lights, social media. We have a strong social media presence. That's student-driven. That's those young men and women in our operations program. And they're professional. When you show up, they're going to be in golf shirts. They're going to conduct themselves the right way. They're articulate. Um, they do work off the field because we have some that want to get into sports journalism, broadcasting, um, radio, and they're just trying to figure it out. And the same way we're saying, oh, we have five Division One commits and a Division Two and a Division Three player, um, I, I want to say that about those ops kids at some point, that they're moving on to a Division One, Two II, or Three program, and they know that they have an opportunity within the collegiate ops program. Um, and I can't wait to see someone go full, full circle with that. One of our ops kids to take what they've learned, again, influenced by USA, bringing that to college, getting more advanced and, and more skilled, and then taking that to whatever professional life they want. Um, and to your point about the access to the alumni network, that's another network we need to have in our program, whether it's for our players on field or future ops kids. We want to have that. Um, our ops kids have been blessed. Um, they've met with the operations department at Texas Christian University. They've met with the NECBL sideline reporter. They've met with a, a social media specialist. They've met with UCAL Berkeley's athletic director. They've all had that experience as 15, 16, 17-year-old kids. Um, and it, I promise you it's just as rewarding as winning a state championship. It's just as rewarding as you know, our players going to play division one or the scouts being in the stands to see Evan. That's, I promise you, it is that rewarding working with that group and seeing their success. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, um, and you mentioned the social media presence on your personal, um, social media. One of the things you've been outspoken about over the last couple of weeks is, uh, kind of a trend in baseball where guys are maybe drawing more attention to themselves uh, more maybe trash talk on the field and not making it as much about the team as their individual performance. Why is that such an important topic to you? Um, you're, you're spot on. It's incredibly important to me. And if that makes me quote unquote old school, then I'm old school, but I'm, I'm certainly in this to win. I'm certainly in this to develop skills. 
But winning isn't simply defined as the state championship, as a conference championship. Developing skills isn't simply swing path and and, and footwork. Um, and I think it's a really important time in the history of our country that we all, baseball or not, embrace the role we play in that. Um, I'm very disheartened by the way a lot of us treat each other. I think that we sometimes don't realize the magnitude of the internet and social media. Again, it's in its infancy in the grand scheme of things. And everyone is their own corporation right now. Now, whether they think they're building a personal brand or they think they're just interacting on a social level, um, you have to remember, rewind 20 years ago, people that had that platform had a marketing department, had a PR department, and they filtered through every piece of content they were going to put out and knew what would be successful and what could be incredibly detrimental. Now you have 10-year-olds taking those responsibilities on themselves, and it's captured forever. And I have a big problem with that. Um, in terms of on-field, you control what you can control, as I mentioned earlier. I think if baseball, we hold on to our values and get a bit more vocal. You know, anybody that's influential in, in, in baseball, I think you need to be a bit more vocal. Because um, you have people out there like, let the kids have fun. Let the kids have fun. Humiliating someone is fun. So what about that bully that thinks it's fun to stuff kids in the locker? to think it's fun to make them feel ostracized from their community. You wouldn't accept that. Well, you're doing that to each other as baseball players. And I have a big problem with that. And I, and I think we have to define what is success. And how do, you, how do you embrace the responsibilities that go along with success? And part of that is being humble and saying, this is what I train for. When I hit a home run, I don't need to bat flip because that's what I train for. Me personally, when I see a guy tank a ball and he just runs the bases and he goes back to the dugout, um, I'll give a local um, shout out. Dominic Keegan is a good young man to watch. That's a professional baseball player. And oh, by the way, you don't see these antics in the big leagues. So we're seeing it at an amateur level. You need to factor that in, that it's amateur. And you watch Dom, that's a guy that's going to be a professional baseball player. He hits home runs, he runs the bases, that's intimidating. Because I'm sitting there as a coach going, he's done that before and he has every intention to do that again. Hopefully it won't be at our expense. Um, and I think that's true confidence and it's respect for yourself and respect for your opponents. It shouldn't be, I was successful, now I need to humiliate you in your lack of success. Because that's something a lot of people don't factor in and I think it's really unfortunate, is yes, very often athletes get a lot of praise, a lot of credit. But you do have to realize there's an incredible amount of vulnerability that goes along with being an athlete. And the higher levels you get to, the more vulnerability that is. So as we see these kids bat flipping and doing antics, the vulnerability is, well, maybe that kid now doesn't get to go to the next step of his journey. Maybe that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Maybe that his dream school was in the stands that day. And they're like, yep, he's just not at our level. And that road's going to end for him. Another part of vulnerability is, you have a bad day academically, you and your parents and the teacher are probably the only people that know about that C, D, F. You have a bad day as an athlete, it's in the local newspaper. The whole school knows. And in our sport, if you're the pitcher, you literally have the L attached to your name. So you think, like, yes, athletes get a lot of praise. I'm not denying that. But there's also, 
there's also a lot of vulnerability and, and accountability. We don't need to compound that and make that worse for each other. Again, we're all baseball players. We're all New England baseball people. We should just play and conduct ourselves like pros. And I don't understand where that disconnect is because in terms of the bat flips and, and the you know stare downs and all that stuff, you don't see that nearly as much at the professional level than you do at Little League and travel ball and high school and, and on college, unfortunately. There's a major disconnect there, and we need to figure that part of the game out. Like we have to just hold ourselves to the same standards that we've been raised to hold ourselves to. The game doesn't give you an exception to your morals. The game doesn't give you an exception to your character. What you're doing between the lines is a reflection of who you are on the ride home, at Thanksgiving dinner table, or in, in the dining hall at your school. And I think we need to embrace the responsibility of how we were raised and who we are at our core and our convictions and not let the game tell us it's okay to compromise those in any way. That's an important message, and I'm, I'm glad you took the time to uh, share it with us. Uh, Coach, I know it's a game day, so thank you so much for taking the time to come in. Really appreciate you and continued success this season. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, and I want to thank you and, and the rest of the staff here um, for everything you do for New England baseball and highlighting from the youth level to the pro level, players, coaches. Um, again, you're, you're, do, you're a living example of what we need to do as a region and supporting each other and showing the world what kind of baseball is played up here. So thank you for all your efforts. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Thanks to Coach Pollard for joining us in studio. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, Steve Safran, for pulling it all together. The Base Path podcast is a Siemens Media production. <laughs>